Good evening. My name is Vivian Fisher, manager of the African American Department here at the Central Library. It is my pleasure to welcome you here to the Pratt Library on behalf of our CEO, Dr. Carla Hayden, the boards of directors and trustees, and the staff of this great institution. I am here to introduce this evening our guest speaker, Tamara Winfrey Harris. Tamara. Tamara is a writer who specializes in the ever-evolving space where current events, politics, and pop culture intersect with race and gender. Her first, her first book is The Sisters Are All Right, Changing the Broken Narrative for Black Women in America. For black women, Tamara explains, and I'm getting your name just all mixed up here. The most radical thing we can do is to throw off the shackles forged by stereotypes and regain our full and complex humanity. This is a revolutionary act in the face of a society and get eager to mold us into hard, unbreakable things. A Midwesterner at heart, Tamara is a native of Indiana. She graduated with a BA degree from the Greenlee School of Journalism at Iowa State University, and she is a graduate of the Maynard Institute's editing program for minority journalists. She has written several on several topics, such as Beyonce's feminism, media coverage of First Lady Michelle Obama, and the natural hair movement. She has published in many outlets, and just to name a few, the New York Times, the Chicago Sun-Times, Ms., the America Prospect, Salon, and the list goes on. She teaches public speaking classes to college students, which I'm sure is a great joy. So please join me in welcoming Tamara Winfrey Harris to the Enoch Pratt Free Library and to Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is a wonderful city. This is my first time here, and I've enjoyed it so much. I will. <laughs> so I always start my readings by asking, what's wrong with black women? Oh, well, you're skipping ahead of me. <laughs> Well, it, that is true, nothing. But if you let some people tell it, you would think it was just about everything, wouldn't you? Um, Bill O'Reilly thinks Beyonce's dance moves cause teen pregnancy. <laughs> Are any of you online? Well, then you know social media memes show a shocking derision for black women. There was one that I saw um, a few months ago that accused us of spending stacks of cash on weaves and wigs while our children remained uneducated. And there are several high-profile black men that make a habit of critiquing and clowning and advising black women with very little effect to their popularity. Does anyone know D.L. Hughley? Does that name sound familiar? He's a king of comedy. He's a very popular radio host. He went on national public radio and said, 
and this is in all seriousness, that black women were just the angriest people he knew. Just angry for no reason. So, <laughs> so wow. I have been, I will tell you, I have been a black woman for all of 45 years. <laughs> and I don't know this picture of black womanhood that reigns in the public consciousness. And I bet, I'm looking at several of you out here, I bet you don't either. I have said that when other people talk about black women, the picture that emerges is like a size six skirt on size 16 hips, right? <laughs> Stretched, distorted, and uncomfortable. But I have interviewed more than 100 women over the last two or three years for my book, and I can tell you that when, uh, when we talk about ourselves, the picture that emerges is more nuanced and empowering and hopeful. Now, this is usually when I introduce myself, but I had such a wonderful introduction. I can just skip that part and say that, you know, I, I thought for a while, what should I read for you today? And I thought about this, this conversation about um, extrajudicial justice and police brutality and how hard it has been to get black women included in that discussion. And I thought about Sandra Bland and that terrible, horrifying dash cam video. And I thought that I should read for you from my chapter on strength and strong black woman. And it's called Precious Metal. And it starts like this. In the summer 2014 issue of Bitch Magazine, I wrote about a stereotype that both buoys and burdens black women. With shades of sapphire's hardness, the myth embodies the idea of African-American women as perpetually tough and uniquely indestructible. Strong black woman. The words fit together like blue magic, sizzling hot combs, and Sunday afternoon. Because we are the fighters and the women who don't take shit from no man. We are the sassy women with the sharp tongues and hands firmly on our hips. We are the ride or die chicks. We are the women who have, like Sojourner Truth, plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could head me. We are the mothers who make a way out of no way. On TV, we are the no-nonsense police chiefs and judges. We are the first ladies with the impressive biceps. But there's a dirty side to the perceived uncommon strength of black women. Ultimately, the strong black woman stereotype is an albatross at odds with African-American women's very survival. Because according to pop culture and media, we are also the workhorses. We are the cold, overeducated, career-obsessed sisters who will never marry. We are the indefatigable mamas who don't need help, the castrating harpies. We are the brawling world, world star hood rats. We are the women and girls who are unrapeable, whom no one need worry about when we go missing. We are the scary boogie women on America's doorstep in the middle of the night. And too often, we are the women who dare not to give in to our vulnerability, even as we're breaking emotionally and physically. Many women find undeniable truth, liberation, and empowerment in the strong black woman meme. 
Heidi Renee Lewis says, there are times when I assume that black women, that black woman resilience, the kind that allows you to face racism and sexism and heterosexism on a daily basis and still maintain your sanity and your health. I love that part of the strength that black women have had to have. That strength is real. 60-year-old Deborah Latham White remembers embracing the idea of black female strength as a teen at the dawn of the black power movement. Black women, she said, were disrupting American beauty culture. We were starting to wear our hair natural as a political statement of acceptance and self-love. But the currency of cultural strength wasn't just halos of kinky hair and Afro-chic sartorial taste. We were also throwing up our fists in a sign of solidarity with the Black Power Movement, as well as being actively engaged in the struggle, she says. Who would not want to be Angela Davis, Fannie Lou Hamer, Audre Lorde, or Shirley Chisholm? Today, loving profiles of First Lady Michelle Obama often focus on her personal and professional strength, particularly her exceptional education and career achievements, her egalitarian marriage, and her athleticism. An online search for Michelle Obama and Strong reveals a host of images with America's First Lady flexing her impressive biceps. Flotus is positioned as a strong black woman, both literally and figuratively, making her not just a modern role model and icon to other black women and girls, but to other Americans as well. Black women look to strong female figures for motivation. They evoke the historical strength of, our, of their foremothers to tell each other, you can do it. Adrienne Trailer says she is moved by the strength of her late grandmother, a devoutly religious rural Texan who farmed alongside her husband while working other jobs and raising nine children. She left school after the eighth grade, but seven of her children would go on to receive college degrees. Adrian says her example transferred a desire for aspiration and achievement to succeeding generations. She is the embodiment of the best of what strong black woman can mean. So there's a good side. There's a good side to that. However, there's a negative side. And to understand the negative side, you kind of have to understand what the idea of a strong black woman comes from, which is out of the sapphire stereotype. So you can imagine in antebellum America, you know, how would you justify holding someone in bondage, working them from sunup to sundown, raping them, breeding them, and then separating them from their family? You would have to create a picture of them as less than human. Real women at the time, and real is defined as white, middle class at the time, real women were thought to be delicate. They weren't able to work hard. And I have to point out here that that was sexist and oppressive to those women as well. But black women were not viewed as real women. They were viewed as stronger and bestial and aggressive and able to work hard and able to carry multiple burdens. And so that's where that idea comes from. And so I want to talk about the negative side of the idea of the strong black woman. Society remains uneasy with female strength of any stripe and still prefers and champions delicate damsels, an outdated sentiment that limits all women, but because the damsel's face is still viewed as unequivocally white and female, 
it is a particular problem for black women. As long as vulnerability and softness are the basis for acceptable femininity and acceptable femininity is a requirement for a woman's life to have value, women who are perpetually framed because of their race as supernaturally indestructible will not be viewed with regard. This may be why we so rarely see black women who are victims of violence on true crime television, despite the fact that black women are more likely to be victims of sexual violence and domestic homicidal violence. Instead, we overwhelmingly see young white women who fit the picture of idealized true womanhood. Journalist Gwen Ifill coined the phrase missing white woman syndrome to describe this disparate media attention. So young blonde Natalie Holloway and mommy-to-be Lacey Peterson are damsels beneficiaries of sympathetic national media attention and a drive for justice. Tamika Houston and Latoya Figueroa, black women who disappeared under identical circumstances, are not. Sherry Parks, an associate professor at the University of Maryland, described the significance of this reporting bias in a 2006 appearance on CNN, explaining that stories about missing women capture the national attention uniting people to save a soul. The woman, become a, the woman becomes a symbol, and if we save her for a few days, we're okay. If lack of media coverage is any indication, the media does not believe strong black women need saving. But lack of empathy for black women has other serious implications. When Staten Island mother Glenda Moore's car became submerged by water during Hurricane Sandy in 2012. She was able to free her children, little boys, ages two and four, from their car seats, only to have the rushing water sweep them away. When the distraught Moore attempted to garner help from her neighbors to simply convince them to call 911, she found only closed doors. Said one neighbor before shutting the door in Moore's face, I don't know you. In response to news coverage of the tragedy, a commenter at the Christian Post defended Moore's neighbors asking, how many people are going to let a muscular, screaming black woman into their house? How would you know whether it was just a trick and you were about to be victim of home invasion, robbery, rape? That's the problem. You just don't know. Lest this comment sound just like your average internet troll, Consider what happened when 19-year-old Renisha McBride knocked on Theodore Wafer's door in the early morning of November 2, 2013. McBride was seeking help at Wafer's suburban Detroit home after a car accident, but instead of receiving aid, she was shot in the face. On her blog, writer DJ Freedom Fighter responded to the transformation of 5-foot-3-inch, 130-pound more from distraught mother to burly, duplicitous beast, calling it, quote, optic whiteness. The blogger could also have been discussing Renisha McBride. Optic whiteness allowed Moore's neighbor and Wafer to, and this is a quote, permissibly deny her help that he would have certainly offered to someone who embodies a picturesque version of the standards of womanhood and motherhood. Following the Moore and McBride tragedies, a 2013 article in Time asked, why are black women seen as more threatening, more masculine, and less in need of help? UCLA historian Sarah Haley answered, 
Black women have been seen as different than black men, certainly, but they have not always been seen as women either. To be a woman is to be seen as deserving of protection, and black women are not always seen that way. So there's the negative side of the idea of black women and strength. But I don't like to end on the negative because fundamentally this book is about the fact that black women are all right. We are all right because in 2013, 1.1 million black-owned women, black, black woman-owned businesses existed. That is up 258% over a span of 16 years. We are all right because in 2008 and 2012, we led the U.S. in voter turnout. Us led the entire U.S., every group. We are all right because college-educated black women are the most likely to read a book in any format. We are all right because Anala Beavers, who is four years old, knew the alphabet by the time she was four months old. Look her up. That's true. <laughs> She's a genius. And we are all right because we are human. So fundamentally, intrinsically, we are okay. We are not our problems. So I asked several women why, despite tremendous pressure to feel differently. They are happy being black women. I asked them how they achieved all rightness. I'm all right, says Heather Carper, because I understand human nature. For so many people who have spent so much time, effort, and expense to denigrate, defile, and destroy us, I know that my black femaleness must be fearfully and wonderfully made, as the old church folks used to say. I can, it cannot be bought, it cannot be imitated, and it cannot be destroyed. Disha says, the racists and the sexists have failed miserably in trying to convince me that I don't matter, that I am less than. I spent the first 35 years of my life feeling that way, and not even because of racism or sexism. I decided that I didn't have any more time to waste living in fear of what other people thought of me, which really isn't living at all. Defining myself for myself and not giving that personal power away it was what makes me all right. Not needing a racist or sexist person's permission for anything is what makes me all right. Not needing anyone to like me or approve of my politics or my aesthetic is what makes me all right. I have to be all right because I need my daughters to know that they are all right. Jamila Banu says, I am completely happy with my identity and it has never occurred to me not to be. I am in love with my black woman self. I am in love with black womanhood. I exalt in how many ways there are for us to be uniquely beautiful, the shapes and shades in which we walk in the world. I love our laughter and fierceness and care and energy and exhaustion and brilliance and creativity. That perceptions other than this exist is honestly puzzling to me. In a nod to literary great Zora Neale Hurston, Jamila adds, how could anyone deny themselves the pleasure of my company? It is beyond me. 
Ebony Murphy Root also quotes Sister Zora. I love myself when I am laughing and then again when I am looking mean and impressive. It's not surprising to hear black women dropping wisdom from a famous foremother. From our earliest years, black women um, draw strength and inspiration from our heritage and the women who came before us. We learn from them how to be okay even when the world seems mad. A 2014 study of black girls in New York City revealed that girls who were strongly in touch with their racial heritage were more likely to be happy and committed to their schoolwork, to getting good grades, and to aspire to higher education. In addition, these girls were more likely to believe that they would ultimately achieve their goals and to have healthy relationships. Evidence also suggests that positive messages and support from parents and other important adults, as well as peers, can support the development of positive race and gender identities and mitigate some of the effects of racism. Immersing ourselves and future generations in the strength of our past creates a foundation for black girls and women to do more than just survive, we thrive. I know the shoulders on which I stand, explains Jamila, acknowledging personal mentors, teachers, sisters, friends, and the example of women through history whose giant steps pave the way for us all. Fatima Thomas believes that although black women are not unbreakable, we are, even at our lowest points, survivors. It's the small things for me that add up to who I am. Something as simple as getting out of bed when I'd rather ball up and cry for days. The fact that I can do that. The fact that with much less than I have, women who came before me and have this skin in common with me just kept getting up. The strong black woman trope is a double-edged sword. As much as I want to just be, I actually are far stronger than most, she says. I love that about us. We are all right because we recognize our worth as individuals and appreciate the knowledge that brought us into that space, Deborah Latham White adds. Our strength lies in the black woman collective, past but also present. Jamila encourages black women to seek empowering relationships with other women and to make conscious decisions to support and nurture one another. We can change our personal narratives I mean that in the way in which we tell our stories about ourselves, to ourselves, and to each other. The things we expect for ourselves and that kind of stuff. While everyone whispers about our wrong, we can nod knowingly to each other and celebrate our right. What is wrong with black women? Well, I know you know the answer. Simple answer, not a damn thing. We're not perfect but we're no more flawed than anyone else. In fact, most black women believe it's pretty good to be us. We are not Jezebels or Mammies or matriarchs or sapphires, or not just. Some of us are workhorses. Some of us are angry. Some of us are promiscuous. We are all and none of those things. Black women are human with all the complexity that that implies. We have facets like diamonds. The trouble is the people who refuse to see us sparkling. Thank you.
Talk to me, please. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a question. If it sparked you to make a statement, please do. Yes, um, I wanted to thank you for uh, coming to discuss uh, your book. You know, um, is your book at Barnes and Noble? Because I won't be able to get it to Friday. I can go to Barnes and Noble and get it. it. You can get it everywhere, or you can read it at this wonderful <laughs> library here. But I'll rather <laughs> buy it so you can get, you know, your. Thank your you. <laughs> but um, I, I live in the heart of Baltimore, the hood, and I really think our young women need help. Uh, they need uh, real, true love. They need mentors who mm-hmm. will give them hope by investing in them holistically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they need real men, not just men that are just going to lie down with them, get them pregnant, and then walk away. But they need real men that are going to, you know, help them uh, better themselves. Mm-hmm. But what frustrates me is that when a young woman finally gets public assistance and she gets Section 8 and she gets all this stuff, they don't want the men in public housing to help take care, okay, to, to help take care of his uh, children. And I think that is a problem. Uh, in March 2015, um, I started a school word academy, a church is in school, mm-hmm. uh, part of the ministry that I'm starting in September. 2015, uh, school was recognized by the Maryland State Department of Education. And two of my students were um, single moms. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them couldn't pay. And it's my school, so I could do what I want. (laughs) So I gave her a scholarship, Mm -hmm. and the other young lady paid. But it was so, you know, such a blessing. And they just Mm -hmm. graduated. I just gave them their high school diploma in the frame Mm -hmm. yesterday with their transcript. One wants to go to um, CCBC, Catonsville for um, mortuary science, and then to Coppin for biology. Mm-hmm. The other one wants to go to Stratford for culinary arts. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's such a blessing that we have to understand as a people that you know we must um, invest uh, in young black men. I mean, young black men, so they can invest in young black women the right way. But we have to invest in our young black women because a lot of the young black women don't know who they are because their mothers might be 20. I mean, their mothers might be 40. They're 20 years old, and their mother wants to go to club choices with them. And, and I, can I finish this one more thing? And I also want to know, you know, I'm planning a ministry uh, the 25th of September, and my focus is helping our young black men mm-hmm. and uh, women, you know, like you talking about black heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, I know several women that have gone and read uh, Miseducation of the Negro. Or they uh, read other books, the Willie Lynch letters. I know a lot of people, um, a lot of young women that have read that and have changed their lives and have caused them to focus on going to college, uh, getting degrees that mm-hmm. will help them better their community. And my question is, what should churches, pastors, and ministries uh, do more to help young black women in their communities? And what do you think is the uh, number one thing uh, black, young African-American women need uh, to do better for themselves? Because I really don't like public assistance. I really don't like temporary cash assistance because 
it becomes a permanent cash assistance. And I don't really see the government trying to really focus on our young black women. And I think you should also start a foundation too, if you don't already have one started. Well, I, I, well, I, I would, I would, I'm glad you brought up the point that we need to invest in young women, young black women, and young black men, because so often people decide that we should invest in young black men, and then there's going to be some sort of trickle down justice to black women, and that's not how it works. But I also want to point out that black people and single black women are not the majority of people who are getting government assistance. Government assistance is there to help people. And I think one thing we can do to help children and single black mothers is stop demonizing single black mothers and their children. Because the majority of single black mothers are not going out to the club. They're working very hard. And the majority of people on assistance are not just on assistance. They are working. And so we should focus more on dealing with the systemic racism and sexism and classism that creates the problems in our neighborhoods instead of looking at black women and trying to blame them and their reproductive choices for causing those problems. If we're, real, if we're really serious about fixing our neighborhoods. No, 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 no. I, I, <laughs> I get it. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All I wanted to ask him was uh, TCA. What did he say about TCA? It was a plantation or?
Okay, here's one. Okay. 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 I didn't really have a question. I just well, I walked in in the middle of the TCA, and I wanted to comment on it. So I don't know if that's what we were doing, because I don't know if we went off track. But that's what I. It wasn't a question, but I was going to comment what you were saying about the TCA, and I can agree on his part with that because I had that problem me with on food stamps as I speak, and when I went and and I asked them for help, I said, "Look, help. I will work if you help me work." Whatever I asked a volunteer, I asked to work back there and file papers for TCA. Um, for people that give me my food stamps, you know, they told me that I had to basically have more children for them to help me. So the idea that some people who feel as though, oh, people who own food stamps don't want help, we do. We ask for the help. We go there. I have a high school diploma. I don't need a GED. I have a high school diploma. I can't get a job at all. I tried the workforce programs, work for success programs, all the shelter programs, all of them. And I get food stamps, and I was told that if that I wanted more help, then I had to basically, I'm not considered a family mm -hmm. because I don't have my child with me. And that if I wanted any help, mm -hmm. I started feeling like, well, I had to be like an ex-offender or I, had, I went down to this spot to see if they could help me with housing. They told me, well, have you ever been on, um, they said, have you, are you a recovering addict? I say no. Then they say, well, you have to be a recovering addict to be in this program. And it's the same thing. I go back to TCA, and they tell me, well, we can't help you. And, you know, so I just wanted to comment on there are some people who get food stamps and stuff like that who don't just sit in the house, that don't just watch TV. Mm -hmm. You know, we are educated. You know, I went to college. I had to stop because of loans and other things. But, yeah, I went to college. May I ask you your name? I mean? All that. Shaniqua Ray. Okay. You know, I went to college, all that, and I'm still on social service and low income, and mm -hmm. I have education every day. I don't smoke. I don't drink, you know. Okay. 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 You said that you had spoken to about 100 women. In, is that mm -hmm. correct? Well, how did you select the women, and who were they? Or can just give us a description. I tried to cast a wide net for women. It was important to me that I got a diverse group of, of black women because black women are diverse. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted young black women. I wanted older black women. I wanted straight black women. I wanted lesbian and bisexual black women. Um, so I, I did some reaching out through social media, friends of friends. I got some notices placed in media. Um, I had notices placed online. I think I did a pretty good job of getting a diverse group. The one thing that I would say, and I did say that in, in the book, is that I think for the most part, the women I talk to are middle class and or educated. Some are educated, some are in school and are poor, or some are, you know, middle class but uneducated, but they are they both they have one or the other of those privileges and so i want to make sure that people know as they're reading the book that those women are not representative of all women but that's kind of the point we are diverse mm -hmm. 
Hi, I didn't have a question, but I wanted to say I belong to a group, and we're against uh, police brutality. Mm -hmm. And we have done marches this year about mm -hmm. it, and we're having a march coming up. It's in New York, though. It's mm -hmm. going to be October the 24th. Wonderful. Uh-huh. Good. So it's going to be a national march from and I'm all, sure you, all the states. And you're talking about police brutality as it affects men and women. And yes. Good. Wonderful. Good evening. I want to first thank you for your T-shirt because it is phenomenal, <laughs> number <you>. one. <laughs> um, and number two, this is, this is more of a comment, mm -hmm. um, but I, w I would love for you to engage with it. Sure. Uh, Bristol Palin is pregnant for the second time. Mm -hmm. And if anybody recalls, Bristol Palin, of course, uh, her mama mm -hmm. was running for vice president of the United mm -hmm. States of America. And what occurred to me when she... When she came out on social media that she was pregnant for the second time mm -hmm. is if in fact Barack and Michelle's yeah. daughters mm -hmm. had even kissed a boy mm -hmm. on the campaign trail, it would have been a firestorm yet Bristol Palin comes through whole families there. And so um, there are oftentimes when I feel like our interrogation of, of black women's lives so subtly involves sexuality and the ways that we're supposed to move and not move um, that we forget Definitely. exactly so, so that we forget when it, when other people do it and how they're able to have mm -hmm. a whole PR team that cleans mm -hmm. that up. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so, so some of that is, I, I thank you for bringing up Michelle Obama and mm -hmm. even her experience as a black woman. And I don't know if we've touched what it means to have a black woman in the White House, in this country, um, and then to have two beautiful daughters that come through. Mm -hmm. so, so I thank you for allowing your book to, to kind of touch on all of the facets mm -hmm. that we experience as black women. So, Thank, Thank you. you. And have you noticed how Michelle Obama is always painted as angry? Mm -hmm. I mean, you remember all, you know, other first ladies are these kindly, wonderful, the, the nation's, the nation's mothers. But Michelle Obama is angry. There was that whole scandal about during Nelson Mandela's celebration of life where someone caught a fraction of a second of a picture and you know they were certain that Michelle Obama was about to go full sapphire on the president because of the way her face looked. It's those kind of things. And to your point, so Bristol Palin, pregnant for the second time, but an advocate of um, abstinence. But remember the turkey pardoning? Was it? The, it was a turkey pardoning where the two uh, Malia and Sasha Obama standing behind the president, looking like two regular teenage girls in skirts and tops, and you know the, the Fox News was like they look like they're going to the club. What kind of? I mean, they were basically accusing them of being whores. They were, and they have not so much as kissed a boy in full view of a camera. So what? I mean, what do you? <laughs> what do you have to do? So, yes, I was, hello. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure exactly where I'm mm -hmm. going with this mm -hmm. because it's kind of like um, a germ of a thought that I have been thinking about for a while. And I knew I came here for something. And I came here to hear you because I thought that I would be able to connect to this thought that I've had for a long time. And basically what it's about it's about, um, I would say, black women. Mm -hmm. And in particular for those who aren't necessarily educated 
or a part of the middle class, mm -hmm. although we all suffer from mm -hmm. this, and that mm -hmm. is learning to know and discover who you are. Mm -hmm. How do you go about doing that? Um, many people, and you know, God forbid, black women, have never really thought about what that really means. Does it mean that you are identified by the color of your skin or the kinkiness or smoothness of your hair? Does it mean whether you're married or mother of one or ten children? Mm -hmm. What does it mean exactly? And I believe that this is one of the facets that is needed for us to begin to deal with. But there are a number of consequences that comes along with that. Because once you know who you are, and you work on that because it's always a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And it continues until the moment you cease to exist. Mm -hmm. And so being a work in progress, what I have discovered is that there are many people that I know, many people um, that I have been around, aside from being a part with this young man here, two years ago, we walked from Baltimore to Washington, D.C. to celebrate the walk, the Poor People's Walk, mm -hmm. the Poor People's Campaign, and we took the original route, Route 1, from Baltimore to Washington, D.C. to Freedom Plaza. And so one of the things that we certainly advocate and talk about is police brutality. And so, you know, when I think about the kind of things that a woman in particular must encounter when she discovers who she is and she sticks to it, is that there were people who will love you, people who will not like you at all, mm -hmm. and people who are envious but will never be able to say I really admire you. Mm -hmm. You got it going on. Pardon? Jealous. Well, of course, that's a part of it as well. Mm -hmm. However, I understand it, and I don't hold it against them, because they are not educated to what it means to learning how to know who you are, how to discover that, how to talk about that, and to be surrounded by people who will encourage that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like I said, I wasn't really sure <laughs> about mm -hmm. um, how I was going to even speak about it because mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever really put it into words except for now. And mm -hmm. I thank you for pulling that out of me. Thank you. Uh, just in response to what you were saying, I recall, and maybe somebody else in this room does too, a woman by the name of Billy Avery, and then there was another lady by the name of Lily Allen. They came out of Atlanta, Georgia, McCarthy Foundation winners, by the way, and they wrote a book called Black and Female, What is the Reality, to what you mm -hmm. were speaking about. And they took it all the way over in uh, 1985 to Nairobi, Kenya, for the... Uh, Conference 
of women all over the world. And we had a chance, of course I went, of course you know that. And um, <laughs> we had a chance to then dialogue with women all around the world. One of the things that I've never forgotten about Lily Allen or Billy Avery when they came to Baltimore was the dishonesty that we per perpetuate and don't talk to our daughters about. A lot of things happen to our daughters, and we are afraid and ashamed to tell them that the same thing happened to us. we got to really begin to be honest with our young girls. And I'll tell you this, and then I'm going to stop. I can't stand or couldn't stand to see all of these long-haired, phony-haired young girls Big behinds walking up and down the street, all of this color on their head and stuff. I was saying, oh, my God. And then Tony Marston said, let's just redefine them. Let's just call them the carefree girls. And I thought, let's do that, sissy. Then you all going to be so mad when you see them. Just, let's, just, just change the name. So now when I see them, I say, there goes the carefree girl. And I'm a lot less angry, and I love them more, more, a lot more. So I'm just in tune to how we can start mentoring and start really loving our young girls. And I thank you very much for coming. Thank you. <laughs> but I, I actually heard that from a lot of women. It's hard. The best thing we can do is it takes a lot of work but try to figure out who, are, who we are, who is your authentic self, and to support each other in doing that. Did anyone read Melissa Harris Perry's book, Sister Citizen? Really good. She has a concept. She calls it the crooked room because she says, you know, if you look at how black women are positioned in public, it creates sort of this fun house. All these things that other people say about you, you're angry, you're hypersexual, you're all of these things, so you're in this tilted room. And so you're trying to stand straight in this crooked room. And so you either find yourself playing into those stereotypes or you find yourself trying to bend away from them. You find, you know, you're at work and you're justifiably angry, but you're trying to be extra obsequious because I don't want to look like an angry black woman. Or I want to put some color in my hair, but I know that when white girls do it, it's fun and flirty and, you know, but when I do it, it's going to be ghetto. So I can't be, so you can't be your authentic self. Someone, a, a quote in the book, I think she got it, what you're saying. This is Disha Filia. She's actually a writer as well out of Pittsburgh. She said, I, I was talking to her about black women and why they're all right. And she said, tell them, as Troy Maxson told his son in August Wilson's Fences, don't go through life worried about whether someone likes you. You best be concerned that they do right by you. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that you spoke with about 100 women, mostly educated or at least some degree of education. Give us some sense of how black women are faring in the world of work. Is, it a, is there a glass ceiling? I know you mentioned black women are the most well-read. They are definitely graduating at, from college at higher levels mm -hmm. than African-American men and... I'm a little bit older and retired now, but when I was in the workplace, they used to 
like black women because they call them a twofer because you could get a woman and a black to fill certain uh, EEOC requirements which have gone mm -hmm. by the way. So how are these ladies, particularly those that you talked to for this book, faring in the workplace? What kind of frustrations do they run into? Is there a glass ceiling and whatever else you want to comment along those lines? Well, you did part of my job for me because you quoted some great, <laughs> some great statistics there. So a lot of black women are in the workplace, but they still find facing, themselves facing racism and sexism. Black women still get paid less than white men. White women get paid less than white men. We get 64 cents on the dollar. I think white women get 78 on the dollar. Yes, there is a glass ceiling. Great book read uh, oh, a couple years ago, um, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, where she talked about giving advice to women. She's the, in case you, she's the COO of Facebook. She's giving great advice to women on how we cannot hold ourselves back in the workplace. And she had this... Um, the concept of leaning in, don't take yourself out of play, um, you know, be aggressive, speak up, you know, volunteer for things. But the problem with that, and I actually thought it was a valuable book, but a lot of black women I talked to said, you know, when I lean in, it's kind of seen a little different than when some of my compatriots lean in. Suddenly I'm angry, I'm aggressive, I'm, you know, too forceful because there's that sapphire myth, myth at play. So we are doing well in some respects. We are graduating more. You know, we're, we're succeeding, but then we still have racism and sexism, so it's not, it's not perfect. Hello. I'd like your comments on the phrase as to whether a person acts black. Uh, many times people can, are criticized for not acting black, and I don't know how to take that. If you're black, any kind of way you act is black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I know the, the opposite is being accused of acting white. But if you're, if you're black and you're acting like that, you're acting black. <laughs> okay. Do you feel any support from the white feminist movement of today? And I'm absolutely sure you don't feel enough support. And um, what directions might you recommend to the white feminist movement of today? I do feel some, some of my best friends are white feminists. And I'm only being a little facetious. Some of my best friends really are white feminists. But I, I mean... There is, you could ask the same question about how supported I feel in the larger anti-racist movement um, by people who are not black women. There is always intersection, and we always do a not perfect job of it. Um, and we always want more of it. And I think one thing that started happening lately that I appreciate is people talking about feminisms instead of feminism, because, you know, Women are, are diverse, whether they're white or black. You know, we have different abilities. We have different sexualities. We live in different places. We have different bank accounts. And so as long as we were each, are each able to find our tribes and work towards what we need and then form coalitions around the things that affect us all, then I think we're, we're doing well. Um, what 
are, could you give us like three things that you would want your readers to take away after reading your book? And uh, could you put them in terms of action? As we read it, young men talk about mentoring, but what are three things that you would wish that as we read this book that we would take them away, but they'd be something that we can act on? Oh my gosh, we had to end on a hard one. <laughs> I would want to, I would want black women to feel validated. What I have heard from some black women is, I am just glad to hear voices like mine. And so I would say feel validated and feel like you are not alone and your story is not, your story is uniquely yours, but it is not unique. I would say support, support black women. And I say that's true for black women. And I think that's true for everyone else who reads it. White women, Asian women, black men, Latino men, all of that support black women. And I would say for black women also to be authentically you. Do not be afraid of being authentically you. You are what I want people to come away with and what I want black women to feel when they read this is that you are all right and know that no matter what everybody else says, you are all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay, you're okay. <laughs>